Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast, where we aim to bring people closer to Christ, build them up, and empower them to go out into the world and make a positive impact. With our inspiring content and engaging discussions, this podcast serves as a beacon of hope and spiritual growth for all its listeners. The purpose of the Northgate Podcast can be summed up by our mission to bring people to Christ, build them up in that relationship, and send them out. This motto encapsulates our dedication to help individuals discover the transformative power of Christ's love, nurture their faith, and develop a strong foundation in their spiritual journey. Now here is today's message. Good morning, Northgate. It is fantastic to see everybody here today. I'm D.L. Walter. I am the Next Generation Pastor. And last night as I was driving out here for our Saturday night service and I was looking at all the colors of um, fall changing things and just having a nice ride over and praying, I thought to myself, you know, I think I might have the best job in the world. And let me tell you why. Um, Because when I was driving out here on Wednesday night, um, for youth group, I was getting ready to have 65 teens come to our South Campus and have a laser tag battle. And we ran throughout all of, of South Campus for two hours and we had a blast. And then after that was over, I had the opportunity to come up here and meet with our leadership team to start planning out a missions trip to Costa Rica in 2024, which we're having um, an informational meeting about with our teens next Sunday after church. So if you're from ages um, eighth grade through 12th grade, and you're interested in attending that, join us next Sunday after church. And then I get to share God's word with all of you today. And so I just thought, man, that's like three awesome things to be doing in one week. I'm happy to be here. Happy to share what God has placed on my heart because we're in the third week of our Hebrew series, our Greater Than series, where we're looking at the book of Hebrews to see how Jesus is superior or greater than all things. In the context of the book of Hebrews, the author is writing to a group of Jewish believers that are contemplating leaving their faith in Christ and going back to their old ways. But the author writes them, sharing with them to keep their faith in Jesus because of how great he is. That this, um, you know, is so important that he says, I know you're going through trouble now, but this faith in Christ is really important and you don't want to give that up. And I think it's a relevant message for today in the world that we live in and keeping strong and persevering in our faith. But I just love the greater than um, series title because this might seem like a little bit of a strange confession but when I heard the series title was greater than for our Hebrew series I got excited a little too excited because I started having these flashbacks to math when I was younger right you know how you have like some of these core memories where you just remember things and they're so vivid I remember in math class learning about the greater than symbol for the first time and I thought that it was amazing. I really have no idea why, but I just remember thinking, this is so cool that this symbol is literally greater than any other mathematical symbol. This is like my six, seven-year-old brain working. I don't know why, but it just seemed great to me. And for whatever reason, in life, I've always liked when I see it out in 
culture, right? When it's not just a mathematical equation that this number is greater than that number, but when you see it out in culture, I remember a few years ago, Apple had this ad where they, they it used no words and it was just beautiful because you had somebody with the new iPhone in their left hand, you just saw their hands, and somebody with the new Android phone in their other hand, and they just had the greater than symbol. And when I really appreciated this, because it was on billboards everywhere, when I really appreciated this is when I was driving probably too fast down the road, I didn't have to read anything. I could just fly past this billboard and I could see that they were saying that the iPhone is greater than any other phone that there is, just by having one simple symbol. But here's the thing, when I started thinking a little bit more about that, when I started trying to wrap my brain around this, I started to think, you know, to truly understand that the iPhone is greater than Android, you need to interact and engage with both of those phones. You need to get your hands on each of them to know which one is truly better, which one is truly greater. And I think the same thing is true with our faith. To truly know how great Jesus is, um, that he's so much better than anything that the world has to offer, well, you really need to interact and engage with Jesus. You need to experience him. You see, we already know what the world has to offer us. For those of us who believe in Jesus and have given our life to him, that's our old way of living. We've experienced that before. We know what a life without Christ looks like. But to truly understand what a life with Jesus looks like and that he's greater than anything, I think we need to engage in the scriptures over and over again in a personal way so that we can keep on growing. In fact, that's our main point today. If you want to know how amazing Jesus is, spend time in God's word. Now, I know, I know it might seem kind of simple. It seems like the church answer. It seems like something I might say in Sunday morning class or Wednesday night to the youth group to encourage the students to be in God's word if they want to grow in their faith. But it's true. And it's one of the reasons why I know that it's true is because the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, 12, he goes into telling us, or they go into telling us, just how important God's word is, how powerful God's word is, how transformational God's word is. So we're going to look at one verse, Hebrews 4, 12, for a little bit today to see just how much greater Jesus is, or God's word is, so that we can know how great Jesus is. So here's Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges, through the, through, um, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, if you have been around church for any length of time, like me, I grew up in the church, this was a verse that I had heard before. Now, it's not like one of those like top five most popular verses ever. It's not like if I went up to you and said, hey, can you tell me John 3.16? Most of you who'd been in church for a while would be able to quote it or a Romans 3.23 sort of thing. But it's like right in that next group of verses. You know, that group of verses that if somebody just randomly came up to you on the street, which I don't think anybody does, but just randomly comes up to you on the street and says, can you quote Hebrews 4.12? You'd probably be like, nah, I don't know that one. I don't, I don't know that one off the top of my head. But once you heard it, you'd be like, oh, that's right. Yeah, Hebrews 4.12. I've heard that one before. I know that one. So it's a popular verse 
that we're familiar with as people, but um, that's for good reason. And to a verse that says something really strong about the Word of God. And so I want to spend the first half of this message just looking at this verse and seeing what we can learn about the Word of God so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. The first thing it says about the Word of God is that the Word of God is personal. So the Word of God is personal. The first part of the verse says the Word of God is alive. Some translations say the Word of God is living. How is God's Word living? What does that mean that the Word of God is alive? I think it means that a living person is being revealed in it. When we look at scripture that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, we encounter the living God, who is, as we know, fully revealed in Jesus Christ. John 1.1 puts it this way, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's speaking of Jesus. A little bit later on in the introduction in John 1.14, we're told this, The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When we engage in scripture, it's not like any other book. We are interacting with a living, personal God. Scholar um, John um, Frame in his book, The Doctrine of God, puts it this way. When we encounter with the word of God, we encounter with God. His words, indeed, is his personal presence. Whenever God's word is spoken, read, or heard, God himself is there. What a powerful quote to think about, that when we read the word of God, he is there. When you are spending time with God in the morning, in your devotions, and you're reading scripture, even if you don't ever understand every aspect of it, it's living, it's active. The presence of God is with you in that moment. When we come together as a church family and we hear the word of God read or we're reading it in our Bible, the presence of God is with us. When you're in your community groups and your, your small groups and you're studying God's word together, it's not just a group of people that are meeting together. God's presence is with you. That's pretty amazing stuff. So we know that the word of God is personal. The next thing this passage tells us about the word of God is the word of God is powerful. God's word isn't just living, but it's also active. And the way that it is active is extremely powerful. I want to take a look back. I want to look at scripture um, and see how the word of God is powerful. The beautiful thing is we don't have to go very far to see this. The start of the Bible, God, we're told, in the very beginning, spoke the word into existence. Right? Just God's breath, his voice, speaking the word into existence, that's powerful. Years and years later, during Jesus' earthly ministry here, we're told in Mark chapter 4, when his disciples are panicking and they're worrying about what's going to happen because there's this storm in this boat. We're told that Jesus' voice calms the seas and calms the waves. One of the things I love about that passage is just how powerful the word of Jesus is. In my um, kids' children's Bible, not my older kids, but my youngest one, Daniel, we still read him, his children's Bible. And one of the ways I love is both of those um, accounts in scripture are in 
his children's Bible. If you're looking for a good children's Bible for your kid or if you're a grandparent and you're looking to give a Bible to um, your grandchild, I highly re recommend um, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It is fantastic. Uh, it's something that Tiffany and I, whenever we know a family is having um, their first child, we make sure to get them a copy of this Bible. It's beautifully illustrated. It's poetic. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. And the way it tells these two, these two accounts, you have the creation of the world, God speaking the universe into existence. And then all these years later, Jesus calms the sea. And the author says that when Jesus spoke the very the words, that the wind and the wave recognized the voice. They recognized the voice because it was there at the very beginning of creation. And it spoke them into existence and it calmed the sea. And just to see how powerful God's voice is and illustrate it such a beautifully way, it reminds us that God's word is powerful. I think for me, the way I see God's word so powerful in scripture um, is an example of when Jesus' friend Lazarus is dead. This is a story from John chapter 11. Jesus is with his disciples. They're off on a journey. Somebody comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, your friend, they're sick. They're going to die. And Jesus says, okay, well, we'll just wait two days and then we'll go back and we'll see how he's doing. And of course, when Jesus gets there, he's dead. And everybody's like, Jesus, what are you going to do? Jesus is sad about it. We're told that he weeps about it. But he says, this, this isn't going to end in a tragedy. And Jesus speaks out. And we're told in John chapter 11, verses 43 through 44, Jesus called out loud, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. So right there, we see three examples in scripture of how powerful the word of God is. Speaks the universe into existence. Jesus, God's words, calms the seas. And then when Jesus' friend is dead, he uses the mighty, powerful vo voice of God to bring him back, and he walks out of the tomb. Does not have, death does not have the final say compared to the word of God. But guess what? That life-changing power of God's word is here for us today. It's still powerful enough to change people's lives. I hear it all the time when people talk about their faith and they talk about growing up in the church and being here on a Sunday morning and listening to worship songs and, and being part of youth group, but it's when they start interacting with God's word on their own that they say, you know, it just came alive. That's because we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, gain, and gaining in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, God's word is still powerful. It's used to transform those who read, a, read it for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for good works. I love that because, brothers and sisters, we are, as followers of Christ, created to do good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that, that God created us, that we are his handiwork, that we are his masterpiece, and that he created us to do good works in his name long ago. When we, when we submit to God's word, it changes us in a powerful way.
you know, part of my job as a pastor is to counsel people sometimes. And I don't know um, if you've ever had this experience where you, sit, where you go into a conversation with somebody. It doesn't have to be an official counseling role or anything like that, but you go into a conversation with somebody. It could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be some sort of other loved one that's in your life. And you know that you're going to have a conversation with that person that you are not equipped to have that you say, wow, I am so over my head. I don't know. I haven't walked through this path. I don't know how to, to give good advice or good wisdom. And you meet up with that, that person and you say one of these prayers, you know, God, just give me wisdom so that I can, can, I, can help this person navigate through this tough time. In meetings that I've had like that, the more and more that I realize when I'm in God's word, when I'm spending time in my personal devotional life with God's word, more times than not, as I say that prayer and I listen to that person, some of the verses that I have read, sometimes it's a verse that I read that very day, will come rushing to my mind that I'll be able to say, you know, I can't exactly tell you what to do, but I have this quote from scripture that seems like it might help in your situation to encourage you. And then the beautiful part about that is they don't have to remember something that I said. They just have to remember a scripture reference. See, we're told at the end of that verse, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What I love about that is this isn't just a call for pastors. It's a call for every single one of us. If you're in God's word, God has called each one of us as servants of God to do good works. So not only is God's word powerfully transforming your life, but you have the opportunity to share his word with others, to encourage them to, and to help them. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, and sometimes when we don't have the right words in our own life, and that we can't always relate to what somebody is going through, we can have God's words help us through those situations. Now, the next thing that we have, because uh, we had um, God's word is personal, God's word is powerful. So, of course, we need another P word because it just makes sense that way. So, um, God's word is penetrating. The author talks about God's word being sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, the sword that he's talking about during this um, passage is the small, short, short uh, sword that was used in the time that was specifically designed to cut through the armor that soldiers were wearing, to get in there and to do damage. And we're told that God's word is like that sword. Except the thing is, it's not penetrating armor. It's penetrating deep down into the heart. We're told that God's word is cutting even something harder than armor. It's cutting right to our hardened hearts. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, God word, God's word transforms hearts. I think this is such an important time or such an important message for the times we live in. I don't know about you, but when I walk around, I see a lot of people that have hard hearts. It's so easy to become cynical or to become jaded and to, to kind of have this fortress build up around your heart where you're just cold and hard and turned off to anything. But what we're, said, what we're told in Scripture is that God's word, word, word can melt that away. That it can transform our heart, give us soft hearts, 
hearts that we can hear from God's words, that we can be transformed. So now that we know those things about Scripture, that God's word is personal, powerful, that it penetrates deep into our heart if we allow it to, how should that affect our lives in Christ? Remember, the whole sermon series is greater than, that Jesus is greater than anything. So how does knowing these things about God's word transform how we view Jesus? Well, I think it means that when we read God's word, we should expect it to change the way that we live and should teach us something more about who Jesus is. And I believe that's exactly what's going on with our next part of scripture. The author of Hebrews goes on to describe who Jesus is as our high priest. I think these verses are powerful and that we can apply them to our walk with Jesus today. They should change how we think about God. In these verses, we'll see that Jesus is personal and that he's powerful, that he can change our lives. Hebrews 4, 16, uh, 14 through 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Told you those verses were some powerful verses. Transforming verses. I encourage you this week, because we're going to hit on these verses for a couple minutes, but I encourage you this week in your own life to spend time with those verses, to delve into them, because I'm going to draw out two main points, but there's a ton more that we can get from this. The first thing that we can get is that Jesus is our high priest. Now, that's not a term that we use all the time anymore, just walking around and saying that Jesus is our high priest. So I wanted to simplify it a little bit. And the best I could come up with is that Jesus is for us. What do I mean by that? So back in ancient Israel, yearly a high priest would go into the little room in the middle of a temple called the Most Holy Place, and once a year on the Day of Atonement, he would make a sacrifice for God's people. And this high priest was, this, was a symbol of this mediator that's needed between God and man, offering the sacrifice. But it wasn't a perfect thing because the very man who was going into the temple was sinful. It was a symbol of how man needs an intercessor between himself and God. And Jesus is that intercessor. Jesus is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 puts it this way. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for the people. So here we have that Jesus is the mediator between God and humans, laying down his life, paying the ransom for sin. And he's the intercessor between humans and God. Jesus is for us. We as Christ followers aren't walking through this world alone. That's such an important part. We can't approach God by ourselves. 
because of the sin that's in our life. But when we come to Jesus, knowing that he forgives our sins, we have been credited as righteousness so that we can come to God. Jesus is there mediating between us and God. He's our intercessor. He's, he's going to God on our behalf. Jesus is for us. Not only is Jesus for us, but according to this passage, Jesus gets us. Jesus understands what we're going through. Jesus understands what we are going through. For we do not have a high priest, we're told in Hebrews, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. That is the words of somebody who understands us, that's able to empathize with us, tempted in every way, yet did not sin. As I was reflecting on these verses this week, I started to think more and more what that looked like. At the beginning of this sermon, I looked at John 1.14 about the word becoming flesh and make his dwelling among us. And I started to think about Jesus' 30 plus years on earth and his experience that allows him to know exactly what we are going through and that he's able to empathize with us. Just the very fact that Jesus came down to earth and dwelled among us was humbling. Philippians 2 tells us that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant made in human likeness. So right there, Jesus starts out his life on earth in a humble way. We've all been humbled at times. Jesus can relate to what that feels like. So he gets us. He was once a helpless baby needing his parents to feed him and clothe him. The creator of the world needing his parents to clothe him, to feed him, to change him. Jesus gets us when we feel helpless. When Jesus was an adolescent, we're told in Luke chapter 2, his family goes to Jerusalem. He gets left behind. He stays at the temple. When his mother comes back, she says to him, why have you done this to us? And Jesus explains to himself, I need to be in my father's presence. And they just don't quite get it. For any of us who have raised adolescents or can remember back to our adolescent times, that feeling of being misunderstood, Jesus gets it. Jesus can relate to us. He knew what it felt like to be misunderstood. Like all of us feel, it's not just an adolescence thing. When Jesus is about to start his public ministry, he's tempted by Satan, who's offering him things that all of us would fall into that temptation because it's all the things that we want. You know, Jesus, Jesus is hungry. It's food when you're hungry. I know, I don't know about you, but man, do I make some irrational decisions when I'm hungry. A bunch of years ago, I was leading a retreat with, with students and I was driving the church van that we had and I had a cup of coffee and I had um, some healthy snacks, banana, apple, some things for, for protein, and I had a change of socks all in my little bag and the student driving next to me says, you know, why why did you bring all that? Like, we're only going to be gone for, for a little while. This wasn't a retreat. It was just a concert that we were going to that was supposed to be outside and raining. And I said, you know, 
I realized that I'm not as nice a person when I'm tired. So I bought coffee with me when I'm hungry or when I'm cold or uncomfortable. Jesus is being tempted in the desert. He's hungry. He's tired. He's hot. It would have been very easy to succumb to that temptation. Jesus can empathize with us when we are tempted. He knows what it feels like. Jesus, as he continues on in his public ministry, he knows what it feel, feels like to be betrayed by a close friend. Judas, who is with him all throughout his ministry, Jesus knows that it's coming, but when it happens, he's able to empathize with us who have ever felt like we've been stabbed in the back or betrayed. Jesus gets us. Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused. Jesus, the only person to walk this earth and do nothing wrong to live a sinless life. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. And I don't know about you, but I have that sense of justice that when somebody says something untrue about me, boy, does it make my blood boil. But Jesus gets us. He empathizes with us. Jesus knows what it's like to, to not have a lot. Jesus knows what it's like to be uncomfortable, yet he never sinned. You know, oftentimes I mentioned that part of my job as a pastor is to counsel people. And I can at times try to put myself in their shoes. But the truth is I haven't had some of the same experiences that a lot of other people have. I've lived a, a, a very specific life and it's had its ups and downs and its trials. But oftentimes when I counsel somebody else and I think about what they're going through, I just say, you know, I can't even imagine there what they're going through. So I can listen. I can offer sympathy. I can pray. I can give some encouragement. But I can't 100% relate because I didn't experience the same thing. When you look out the course of Jesus' life, when you read the scripture, you'd be hard-pressed to not see Jesus going through some sort of trial that you can put yourself into and say, man, Jesus gets it. He's experienced it in some way, shape, or form. He can empathize with me. The only difference is that oftentimes when we're going through those hardships, when we're going through those trials, when we're being tempted, we fall, we sin. Jesus never did. He understands us, and despite all of that, he chose, chose to lay his life down for us because he loves us. I want us to close on that today. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the love that Jesus has for us. We thank you so much that we are able to come before you knowing that we don't have to walk through this journey alone. That our Creator understands us, that he loves us, that all the things that we have felt as humans that are tough and that are hard and that can lead to struggle, Jesus felt those emotions on this earth. And yet he did not sin. And we are able to 
come to you because of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf so that we can have life forever eternal with you. So God, we praise you. We praise you for who you are and we thank you for the life that Jesus lived and that he is for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's actually our takeaway today. That if you are a follower of Jesus, he will never stop loving you, pleading your case, and representing you before God. Would you stand with me for our benediction? May the word of God guide us and sustain us this week. And may his grace and mercy be with you always. May God bless you. Have a great week, Northgate. Thank you everyone for tuning in and being part of the Northgate podcast today. Your support and engagement have truly been incredible. If you like what you hear, then please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Northgate podcast. It's your enthusiasm and continued support that keeps us motivated and inspired to creating meaningful content that resonates with our listeners. So thanks again. Thanks again.